0: The gospels have been called passion narratives with long introductions. That is, the whole story is ultimately about what happened to Jesus on the cross and the sacrifice he made for our salvation. Everything up until that happens is just introductory almost. John's gospel is no exception. John devotes 11 chapters to the three years of Jesus' public ministry. But then you get almost as many chapters, nine in total, devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. 11 chapters for three years, nine chapters for one week. But what a week it was. Today on Groundwork, we look at the final events in Jesus' earthly life. Stay tuned. Welcome to
1: Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast.
0: And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, this is now the sixth and the second to the last program in our seven-part series on John's Gospel. And this final episode, the last Two episodes, or almost all of the last two episodes, were in the upper room, uh, where we spend a long time in John's Gospel, from chapters 13 through 17. On this program, we're going to tackle the somewhat daunting task of uh, John 18, 19, and 20, Jesus' arrest, his trial, his death, and his resurrection. That's a lot, and so we'll be kind of cherry-picking some of the things that are unique to John's Gospel, as opposed to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we'll start uh, in chapter 18 with something really interesting that happens when Jesus gets arrested. Right.
1: So, again, if you're somewhat familiar with the, with the gospel story and the first three gospels in particular, you know that Jesus took his disciples out to this garden of Gethsemane. He spent time in prayer. He kind of agonized over the coming ordeal. But if you've been following us in John, you'll know and won't be surprised that John has a slightly different take on Gethsemane, and he skips over the prayer and all that, the agony in the garden, and he comes right to this. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground.
0: Now, uh, we read this because when Jesus says, I am he, that's actually the final I am saying uh, of John's Gospel. We've noted all along that John is uh, unique among the four Gospels. He doesn't include any parables, but he does include these I am sayings. Most of the ones are obvious. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But uh, there are a couple of hidden ones. The first one was with the Samaritan woman at the well when she said, I know the Messiah is coming, and Jesus just says, in Greek, ego, Amy, I am. Right. And in the Greek, you don't really need the I. Uh, usually they leave it out because of the way the verbs are conjugated. You can tell whether it's a first person or second person. So to include the I was a connection to the great I am yeah. of the Old Testament, the God of Israel. And now here is the last one. There was another hidden one that we didn't look at when Jesus walked on the water and the disciples were afraid, thought it was a ghost. He said, don't fear, I am. There's, now, actually,
1: there's actually one more in chapter 8. When they're challenging him about Abraham, and right. he says, Before Abraham was, I, I am. am. Yep. And they wanted to stone him then because yep. they really got it. So we said there's seven of the kind of parabolic I ams with the added comparison. But there are also these hidden I ams where he simply says, I am. And it's clearly pointing to Jesus' divine nature.
0: And this one, this last one, packed a punch. It literally knocked these soldiers and others yeah. on their backsides. I mean, they literally were fell down. You can imagine Hollywood special effects people having a little fun with this, you know. Yeah, you know, Jesus says, I am, and it comes out in some big thunderous voice, and there's a clap of thunder and these soldiers just fall back. But that is actually what happened. They'd fell to the ground. There was such power behind this final I am saying that, yeah, it it literally knocks strapping soldiers and others uh, right on their backs.
1: Everything that happens to Jesus, he's the one in control. So John says there that Jesus knows full well what's going to happen to him, and he allows it to happen. There's a passage, again, in the synoptics where he says, don't you know I could have asked the Father and he'd send 12 legions of angels? Well, one would have been enough. But he doesn't even need the angels. He could have simply walked... Away, they'd all fallen to the ground, they're helpless. But Jesus wants the Father's will to be fulfilled, and that's all about salvation. And so he goes uh, knowingly to his fate here in John.
0: Right, and in John 18 and 19, part of that fate is appearing before Pilate, and we pick it up in 18, verse 29. So Pilate came out and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man, Jesus? Well, if he were not a criminal, they replied, "Uh, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Well, Pilate said, well, take him yourselves. Judge them by your own law. And then we jump ahead a little bit. Uh, Pilate talks to Jesus, and Pilate says, you're a king then? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me what is truth, retorted Pilate. But then Pilate goes back to these people, because Pilate wants nothing to do with this. He says, right. look, look, we have a tradition of releasing somebody, I can release Jesus, and they say, no, no, give us Barabbas. Barabbas had been is a criminal, he'd been part of an uprising. And again, Pilate comes and says, look, uh, I'm bringing this Jesus out to you. I find no basis for a charge against him. You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And then this line in uh, chapter 19, verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He sensed something special about Jesus. Something was up.
1: Namely, that he was innocent. (laughs) We had a groundwork series on the Apostles' Creed, and there we noted Uh, One of the quirkiest features of the creed is that it only mentions two people besides Jesus by name. One of them is Mary. Uh, She's accorded a place because of the wonderful role she played in bringing Jesus into the world. And Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead. How'd you like to be the guy who's remembered for crucifying Jesus?
0: And nobody ever quite could figure out, we said that in that Apostles' Creed series, How, I mean, you don't get Moses, you don't get Abraham, you don't get David, not Peter, not Paul, but Pilate makes it into the creed, and scholars think that uh, it does two things. One, it fixes this in history; this is not a fantasy, so this had an actual historical marker. But the other thing, uh, the more important thing, is that Pilate becomes an unwilling witness to the innocence of Jesus. He knew Jesus was innocent, uh, and Pilate didn't know the half of it. Jesus was sinless, no less, right? So Pilate, you know, becomes a, a an unwilling witness to a very important truth. That an innocent man died for all of us. And theologically, of course, that's huge in the doctrine of the atonement and how we become justified from our sins. The innocent died for the guilty.
1: But Pilate almost against his will, really against his will, is sort of forced into condemning Jesus by threats of exposing him or accusing him. And so he does it, but he doesn't like it. And he almost, it seems as though he gets his own back again against the people who forced him to do this. Because we read later in chapter 19 Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested, do not write king of the Jews, but that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So maybe Pilate sends deep down that Jesus was the king, actually. But for sure, he put a sign up proclaiming the truth. And in this, he becomes another unwitting witness to the reality of Jesus.
0: But Jesus is indeed crucified. Uh, And so in a minute, uh, we'll get to uh, the sad story in John 19 of Jesus' death. glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible.
1: You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave
0: Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And uh, Dave, the end of John chapter 19 tells the story of Jesus' death. And it includes a couple things not included in the other Gospels. Uh, We we did a series, Words from the Cross, here on Groundwork. Most people know there are seven last words. There's another seven. Yeah, another seven in this Gospel. Seven last words from the Cross, but no one Gospel contains all of them. Matthew and Mark just have one that they share. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luke chips in three of the seven, including, you know, um, his promise of paradise to one of the criminals, asking God to forgive those crucifying him, and then Luke's version of Jesus' final words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Uh, and then John chips in three sayings not found anywhere else, sayings from the cross.
1: And they all come one after another, so we pick up the reading from John 19, verse 25, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
0: So the so-called beloved disciple, and this will come up in our final program in the series uh, too, this is comes up often in John's gospel, the beloved disciple. Most scholars think that is John himself. That's sort of his um, secondhand way to refer to himself in the narrative without saying it's me. Uh, so he just refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And of course, Jesus loved all his disciples, even loved Judas. So it's not like he loved uh, only one of them, but it's just John's kind of subtle signature in the gospel gospel. And here, Jesus does something very loving for his mother. Again, he's on a cross now, and he's still not thinking about himself only, right? Right. We saw that in Luke's gospel, too. Father, forgive them. Uh, He's thinking about other people, including the people driving the nails into him. So here he he takes care of his mother uh, and basically makes sure she's cared for. Now, we know Jesus had some other siblings, too, so I don't know quite how that all worked. But the beloved disciple will uh, sort of adopt Mary as his de facto mother from then on out. So very kind thing for Jesus to do. Jesus doesn't always Always seem kind uh, when his mother's around. He sometimes will say, well, no, my real family are the disciples, or, you know, he just sort of ignores uh, some his mother sometimes, but here he, he ends his life by taking care of her.
1: Right, and, and then he says he's thirsty, which um, most scholars or commentators say really points to his true humanity. Uh, he really was suffering on the cross. He was suffering physically. You can imagine what that ordeal would have done. And it's gruesome. And and the Gospels, interestingly, none of them go into the physical details nope. of how terrible that suffering was. But he he's given this drink uh, that may have included some kind of pain-numbing element in it, a kind of vinegary wine. And then, climactically and triumphantly in John, one final word, it's one word in Greek, tetelestai, It is finished it has been
0: accomplished right he doesn't say i am finished <laughs> and he doesn't mean finished in the sense of uh being washed up or worn out or at the end of his rope it, right you just said it dave that the little uh, one line uh it is accomplished my work is finished in the sense of you know a finished work of art the the, the, the artist puts one last brush stroke on the canvas and he says it is finished yeah It's done. It's perfect. That's what Jesus means. And again, the paradox of the gospel that we've seen come up again and again in this series, that through death is going to come life. It looks like the end of the line for Jesus. It looks like he's at the end of his rope. It looks like he is finished in the sense of being washed up. But no, uh, this is the beginning of life eternal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And harking back to the first program in this series— We noted john the baptist's testimony to jesus behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and so we come here and we understand that the work of sin bearing of taking away sin of dealing with it once for all and not only sin but the death that follows it and the judgment that falls upon it all done completely and forever done Nothing more needs to be done. And that's why Hebrews especially will pick up this idea that Jesus died for sins once for all. Nothing more need be added to that. It's finished.
0: But it is also an awful finish because, again, flashing back to John 1, this is the, the one and only who was sent from the side of the Father, John said in John 1. And we've seen his glory. This is the glorious Son of God and we literally decided to cross him out one Friday afternoon, cross him out from history. This is the worst thing that ever happened. It's even worse than the original fall into sin in some ways because the Son of God is dead. And indeed, there's only one thing to do with the dead. you got to bury him. And so we read this um, in uh, John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, there he is again, for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And they laid him in a garden tomb in which no one had ever been laid So there's Pilate again, you know, I don't know how standard it was to let people take bodies off the cross, but he gives permission. And now here's Nicodemus again, the man to whom Jesus had said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so I will be lifted up. And you wonder, was Nicodemus remembering that?
1: Yeah, maybe. And uh, Jesus added, or John perhaps commenting on Jesus added right after that reference to Moses and the serpent. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We've, we've alluded to it, but there it is. We can't do a series on John without quoting John 3.16. So Joseph was apparently a member of the of the ruling body of the Jews. Mm-hmm. So he had some authority, which is maybe why Pilate's uh, released the body right, into his yep. custody. Nicodemus comes again, another secret follower of Jesus. And they do, as you said, Scott, What you do with any dead body, they buried it. And as far as they knew, that was the end, because none of them yet had caught on to Jesus' repeated uh, prophecies that he would rise again. And that's exactly what happens, as John shows us in a wonderful story from the next chapter, chapter 20, which we'll look at next. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ,
0: even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork and coming to uh, now John chapter 20. Jesus has been crucified, dead, and buried, as the Creed says. And now we come to the next part of John 20, which begins in verse 1. We're told, while it was still dark. And of course, that was literal. It was not dawn yet. He he means that literally. But I think John also means it metaphorically and spiritually, that the world had fallen into darkness in a sense because the Son of God had died as a result of our sin and our evil.
1: Yeah. John loves to play with light and dark, and he does so throughout. So Nicodemus, in chapter 3, comes to visit Jesus by night. He comes out of the dark into the light of Jesus' presence. In chapter 13, when Judas leaves The supper, he goes out, and John says, "'And it was night.'" And now, where the other Gospels say, well, it was dawn, it was that first light, John says, no, it was dark. And we're going to come out of that darkness into real glory and light.
0: The resurrection emerges from the dark, and that's where we need it. (laughs) It's in our darkness that it comes up from behind. It's often the way of it in the Gospels, by the way. Nobody witnessed the moment Jesus burst out of the tomb. Jesus usually sneaks up from behind, did that over the road of Emmaus. In John's Gospel, he'll just suddenly pop into a locked room. But the first person who has the resurrection sneak up behind her is Mary, Mary Magdalene, who stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they put him. And At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman,
1: why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? thinking he was the gardener she said sir if you've carried him away tell me where you've put him and i will get him jesus said to her mary she turned toward him and cried out in aramaic rabboni which means teacher (laughs) that beautiful beautiful moment when mary suddenly realizes it's jesus by the sound of him speaking her name. And the disciples on the way to Emmaus recognized him, their eyes were open when he broke the bread. Mary recognizes him when she hears his voice yeah. saying her name. Yeah.
0: Through her tears, she couldn't quite recognize Jesus, thought he was a gardener. Although in all the Gospels, it appears that although Jesus' body, his resurrection body, is a real, you know, resurrection body, there's something just different enough about him that you didn't recognize him right off. But right, the beautiful thing, Jesus says her name the way he'd said it a thousand times before. You know, Mary, when I've preached on this day, I've said it's the same for all of us. Uh, Often into our darkness, Jesus comes and he says, Peter, Lucy, Rodrigo, young he, and we hear his name and we recognize him once more, but we do so by faith, right? 2,000 years later, we only know and hear Jesus by the grace of the Holy Spirit.
1: Right, and the the witness of his followers, uh, as we'll see in our next program, the last in the series. But there's this marvelous scene, you've alluded to it, Scott, already, Jesus pops into the upper room, the doors are locked, he breathes on them as a sort of a prefiguring, we said in the last program, of the giving of the Spirit. But there's a problem. There's only ten of them there. Now, Judas, we know, has gone off to his own place, and uh, that's tragic. But Thomas is not there. Thomas, the one, you know, who was uh, always kind of the the down disciple, Thomas says in John 14, well, let's go and die with him, yeah. uh, or earlier in John anyway. John 11, you know right, yeah. So he's not there. Bad things happen when you skip church. And in <laughs> Thomas's case, it meant he missed seeing the risen Christ. And when the other disciples all say to him, hey, Thomas, he's alive. He's, he's been raised from the dead, Thomas says, well, Thomas says this. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you.
0: So Doubting Thomas, poor guy, branded forever for one uh, one little lapse there, saying, yeah. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And a week later, Jesus obliges. I wonder why he waited a week. I don't know. Um, but, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's well, a, it's it, a it week was, from Easter. It was
1: Sunday, you know. So yeah, they, right. they met on Sunday. This which, is
0: where the day of the Lord comes absolutely. from. Absolutely. This yeah. is why the church changed from the Jewish Sabbath, which is a Saturday, to worshiping on the first day of the week, which is the day of the resurrection on Sunday. So Thomas sees him and his doubts evaporate, "My Lord and my God, he doesn't have to stick his fingers into the holes like he said he would. Uh, he believes, my Lord and my God." And then Jesus says, "Because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who haven't seen me." and yet have believed. And this is, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my mom read this at the dinner table and said one time, Jesus means us. Uh, we're the ones who haven't seen him and yet believe. And I thought it was kind of cool that we're in the Bible. And we saw something similar in John 17 right. when Jesus is praying for unity. And then at one point he says, I'm not just praying for these disciples, but for all those who will believe because of their word. And so here it is again, we're we're in the gospel picture.
1: And it's the maybe the most wonderful beatitude of all, uh, another blessed are, Blessed are we when not having seen him, as Peter would write in First Peter chapter 1, though you have not seen him, yet you love him. And uh, though we have not seen him, yet we believe in him, because, frankly, because we believe it actually happened. If we didn't believe that the resurrection was a real event, I don't think we'd believe in Jesus. At least I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. uh, but because we believe the testimony of the witnesses, so we believe in him. And that's actually how John wraps up what apparently the gospel but at least this chapter 20 he writes jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name believe yeah There it is.
0: And with that, the curtain seems to come down on John's Gospel, but as they say on TV ads, but wait, there's more. There's another chapter, an epilogue, and we'll be taking that up in our next program. But for now, we see the truth of John 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it.
1: Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Dave Bast with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we study Chapter 21, the closing chapter of John's Gospel. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear us discuss next
0: on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframemedia.com for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our content and managing producer is Courtney